Welcome to Toastmistress's Podcast, a show about events and becoming the best host that you can be. Cheers to you, listener. Santé! Hello, bonjour, everybody, and welcome to another episode. This is your host, Shay Moi. I am so pleased this week that I can share another thought-provoking, fun, entertaining conversation with you all, however you're tuning in this week. I can't believe it's been a week since we talked to each other, but I never hear from you. And speaking of not hearing from one another, folks, after this episode, there's going to be one other one, and then I am going to be taking a little bit of a break. Full disclosure on the reason for this break is that I've been accepted to an internationally renowned Summer Vocology Institute. And you might be asking yourself, what's a vocologist? Well, a vocologist, it's kind of analogous to what an audiologist is to an ear. A vocologist is to the voice. I am so thrilled to be able to have this opportunity to expand my knowledge in an area that I think is going to have great impact, not only on my own life, but on the life of my future clients when I become a certified speech language pathologist later this year. Chez moi, she is an academic queen first and foremost, And I truly don't see the possibility for me to focus on an intensive six weeks of graduate courses and have the time to manage time zones because this is going to be happening down in Utah. Folks, I have been doing my cultural homework before I go down to Utah. And by that, I mean I've been watching the real housewives of Salt Lake City. Oh my gosh, what entertainment. It is absolutely ludicrous, the stuff that happens on that show. But I am more than excited to take in the breathtaking mountain-esque landscape that is around Salt Lake City. And I am admittedly not a summer drag artist. I am really likely to sweat through my makeup when it comes to the summertime, and it has started to get hot up here in Ottawa. As I am recording right now, it is currently over 30 degrees and it's 7 p.m. in the evening, and given my particular difficulty with summer weather, I thought, hey, why don't I just go to a desert? Isn't that smart, Shay? Anyways, Shay, as well as being an academic queen, she can be a complete idiot when it comes to finding climates that are the most beneficial for my well-being. But I'll be distracted and doing all my studies and becoming a vocologist. And what does this mean for me on the outset? I hope to help people who are in the 2S LGBTQIA plus community and those in the performing arts area, whether it be gender confirming voice therapy or helping people who enjoy singing live become better singers. These are the kinds of things that I'm going to be focusing on because the last course that I will do when I'm down in Utah is voice for performers. So I'll figure out what all that means. I have been readily preparing for this adventure. 
But without any further ado, let's cast our anchor and check in to see who is on our podcast this week. Another gem from the west coast of Newfoundland and Labrador. It's the lad himself, Newfound Lad. Lad has dug their heels and cheeks into the effervescent and entertaining world of burlesque for years amidst an illustrious career as a trained dancer who tears across the stage and tears off his clothes. Like a boomerang, this icon made his way back to their home province after a number of years away, performing in every major city across Canada, as well as New York City, Orlando, Las Vegas, and as far as Anchorage, Alaska. They are a cast member of Out TV's Call Me Mother Season 2, where they brought their unique style of draglesque. Alongside performing, Newfound Lad is a much sought-after burlesque and movement teacher, as well as a published writer. Now, let's heave away with this newfound icon, Newfound Lad. Hi! Hi, Shay. It's so nice to see you. You too! Oh, I'm so pleased to welcome you to my podcast. And I'm very, very pleased to be here, boss. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you're one of the latest Newfoundland artists that I had the opportunity to interact with in person. We got to meet up in February as you were passing through Ottawa for a few weeks as the choreographer and movement director, I believe, as you were talking to me about, for a local show that was put off based on a story back in Nova Scotia, wasn't it? Yeah, so I was working on Ottawa at the time when we got to cross paths, as I find we often get to do every so often, because we're both here and gone in a lot of places, and whenever we had to cross paths, it's always very lovely. But I was in Ottawa working on a production called I Forgive You by Artistic Fraud of Newfoundland, and it was telling a queer story from Atlantic Canada, and we were bringing it to the National Arts Centre in Ottawa, and it was goddamn incredible. <laughs> oh my gosh, and I remember I reached out to you, and I was very remiss for the fact that when I went to buy tickets, it was sold out. You were gone at that point. You said, I did my job, I'm going home, <laughs> but you weren't surprised at all that it had sold out, and it seems to have been a resounding success. Yeah, I wasn't surprised at all. It was genuinely one of the most impactful pieces of art I've ever gotten to participate in. And it was so nice to be working backstage and not have, like, I love being on stage, obviously, but getting to influence the product and just witness it is such a cool thing. Yeah. And it gives you a lot of power and it really puts your art to the test because you're teachings and direction became immortalized yep and it was just such a lovely experience working with like a bunch of like weird queer teens from ottawa and helping them get on a stage <laughs> yeah kind of like us 13 mm -hmm. or so years ago <laughs> well i found it funny because like oh the kids today just love to say you're so slay which i'm like okay you're not different from us really and i think they thought i was really cool but little did I know, if I was a decade younger, I would have been their friend and I was not actually cool. <laughs> but maybe that means they'll be cool in a decade. Yeah, exactly. I, I believe that is a lot of the queer person's journey is that we live and learn so much about ourselves that later on we're so in touch and 
reflecting back, we obviously weren't the same person as teenagers. Like, were you out in high school? Uh, I came out in grade 12, somewhere like near the tail end, like probably like April or May of 2012. <laughs> right. So you're like, okay, I'm out of the closet and now I'm leaving the province. Well, I actually took a year. I didn't go right away. I thought I wanted to, but then I just didn't actually feel ready to leave Newfoundland. And I spent my first year of university at Grenfell. Oh, so yeah, she took like her, <laughs> you took your time coming out of the closet. It was like a slow, mm. a slow <laughs> roll. And so where did you end up doing your studies? Uh, I went to York University in 2013 to get my Bachelor of Fine Arts in Dance, specializing in performance and choreography. Awesome. And you're putting it to use, which is amazing because, you know, you know, the old trope that a BFA is a bachelor of fuck all. <laughs> and like, <laughs> honestly, I have a BA and it's a bachelor of, ah, uh, <laughs> you can't do it anymore. I, I think we were the product of a time where education was number one. And it was thrust upon us so much. Like, I think that was the main propaganda of the 90s. Like, send your mm-hmm. kids to school, make sure they do university education. And then that became so much of a cultural piece that eventually degrees have become entry-level requirements. Yeah. Well, I remember growing up, I just always knew I was going to go to university. Like, that was always the conversation with my parents. I don't remember how young that conversation started, but it was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get a degree someday. That's just what you do. Absolutely. And then I said, you know what? I won't get one. I won't get two. I'm going to get three. (laughs) Third time's the charm. Exactly. And so this is what happens when you're in your 30s and doing school Mm -hmm. still. I'm a knock away from 30 and I will inevitably be doing a master's in my 30. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's doable. One thing that I really appreciate about being in my 30s and doing grad school is that all that nonsense, lack of focus, poor prioritization that I had during my original degree is no longer there. We're adults now. We can really balance what's important, what's not important. And we're more absorbent, I feel. Like, I I find more interest in what I'm doing. I absolutely agree. We are adults, but yet somehow we're always working with 21-year-old drag queens. Oh my gosh. And you know what? Like it is, and I have like some of my classmates that listen to this podcast, but it makes me feel so youthful having a program where the majority of my classmates are between like the age bracket of like 23 to 25. But I truly believe that's just the queer experience. We can Mm -hmm. act so many different ages because we are you know, chronologically a certain age, but then, like, queer a certain age. We talk a lot about, and I think, like, a lot of the heteronormative population doesn't realize that queer people have their teen years, quote-unquote, later in life. Mm -hmm. We miss that time where it was fine and dandy to be fully and authentically ourselves, and so we do that a bit later, so... The immaturity can be explained or like the social adaptation can really be explained sociologically because we have that delay in, you know, discovering and having fun with ourselves. 
it's so true. All of our straight counterparts got to be like messy and ridiculous in junior high and high school. And I had to do that in university. So, and it's, it's so funny because if one thing that the queer experience will never be is peaking in high school, Mm-mm. we're only on the up and up, baby. <laughs> exactly. And it just keeps on going. And then every time like I turn like a new decade, I keep hearing that like the next decade is the previous decade. It's like mm-hmm. 30s are your new 20s. And then once I get to 40, you'd be like, your new 30s. So I'm a- enjoying this kind of progression that matches where I need to be. Absolutely. Oh, my. So what are we toasting today, Newfound Lad? So we are toasting a very fancy beverage today, Shemois. It is a black iced coffee from McDonald's. Why it gotta be black? It always gotta be black, baby. <laughs> so nothing in it at all. Come as it is. Just ice and coffee, and that's it. I worked at Starbucks for about three years when I was in Toronto and just started drinking my coffee black in that time. Don't know why. I could have gotten all the fancy beverages because it was free, but that was what the transition was made, and I can never go back. You know what? I'm also have been black coffee for quite some time. Like, yeah, I know you can put like a little pizzazz in your coffee. And of course, during the pandemic, like there was that entire cornerstone of TikTok that was like, I'm going to froth the milk and I'm going to put it in a clear glass and then have the caramel drizzle all on the inside. I could never be bothered. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want the caffeine experience. Absolutely. Like, injected into my veins, that is all I need. <sighs> so, I mean, I'm a bit on the the opposite spectrum of terms of what we're drinking. You have a black, I have a red. I'm going to be cheersing with a nice Merlot. It is my favorite kind of wine. And the folks listening as well, you can cheers along with us as we cheers for this fourth episode of Toastmistress's podcast with special guest, Newfound Lad. Santé! Cheers, boys. Cheers, boys. The Moi Dynasty is growing. I have the immense pleasure of welcoming to the podcast my drag daughter, Anne Moi, as she does her segment. So let's listen for what Anne Moi has to tell us this week with her edition of One Minute Sommelier. Thank you, Shay. In recognition of Newfoundland's wine of choice, we're going to talk about Cabernet Sauvignon. This is a big, bold red wine. Cabernet Sauvignon is grown all over the world, but some of the most famous examples come to us from Bordeaux, France, Australia, Chile, and like the example I have today, California. It's the Ghost Pines Cabernet Sauvignon, which is a blend from three wine regions in California, primarily Sonoma County, but also from Lake County and a bit from Napa. Well, it will vary depending on the age of the bottle and the region in which it was grown. Something that can catch people by surprise if they're not familiar with Cabernet Sauvignon is that the tannins can be quite high. Tannins are what give red wines that drying sensation in your mouth, and tannins will soften out over time. But if you have a younger bottle, say less than five years old, it may benefit from pouring it into a decanter 
an hour or so before you serve it because the interaction with oxygen will also soften out tannins. I would recommend pouring it into a wide bold wine glass if you have one. Cabernet Sauvignon can be very aromatic and expressive. One of the reasons smell is such an important part of wine tasting is because alcohol evaporates at room temperature. So a wide bowl will allow more surface area to evaporate, which will intensify those flavors, as well as allowing more oxygen contact to soften out the tannins. And with this glass of wine, it is indeed very expressive. Before I even bring the glass all the way up to my nose, you can smell it already. And it has aromas of black plum, black cherry, blackberry, with a smoky charcoal undertone. On the palate, the fruit are definitely present again, blackberry and plum, but you also get menthol, eucalyptus, and green bell pepper. And then that gives way to flavors of charcoal, leather, and smoked meat. And the tannins are held in balance and aren't at all overpowering. This wine has a lot of great things going on. Cabernet Sauvignon is a wine that isn't afraid to take up space. It's big, it's bold, and it's unapologetic. And it backs it up with real substance and complexity. And whether you're a drag artist that wants to apply that lesson to your performances, or just a person going about their everyday life, I think we can all stand to be a little bit more like a Cabernet Sauvignon. Cheers! All right. You just gotta say cheers, boys. Hit the table and then have a drink. Exactly. No matter what you're drinking. And even one step further, I think you also have to make eye contact. Yep. You definitely have to make the eye contact. I don't remember doing this before university, but I actually stole this from Albertans. But I feel like Newfoundland just had so much influence on Alberta that, like, the hit the table and have a drink thing. I think it actually came from us and just had a weird way to get back around to me. Did you have it when you were in high school when, like, people went off to Alberta and you just called them Berta Bound? We do not, but I do associate two of my Albertan friends as Alberta Bound. Like, that is a thing. One of my friend's exes has Alberta Bound tattooed on him. Like, the Berta is die hard. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Berta Bound. And, like, Fort McMurray is... I, I heard, like, a an interesting comment. I think it was, like, a few years ago just being, like, there are maybe more Newfoundlanders now in Alberta than there are in Newfoundland. Well, Fort McMurray is the biggest city in Newfoundland. <laughs> it's very true. It's, like, our sister city. Have you ever been to Fort McMurray? I have, but it's been many, many years. Like, my Aunt Susan lived in Fort McMurray for a long time, as many people's Aunt Susans have. So I definitely visited there as a child and took a little drive to Edmonton, went to the West Edmonton Mall, and that's as much as I remember from that trip. Oh, shout out to Aunt Susan. Hope she's well. Shout out to Aunt Susan. She's great. She loves to go to Vegas. She loves to have a good time. Loves a glass of red wine. Aunt Susan's good. Yes, Aunt Susan sounds like a really great time. Maybe she'll be on the podcast. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> oh, so I think that you've come on the podcast at a very opportune time because for the folks listening, Newfound Lad is not typically a host, but more so a phenomenal cast member. And I think that this is 
a really good perspective to have on the podcast because obviously you've been a part of a multitude of productions and have seen, I'm sure, the whole gamut of good hosts, bad hosts, okay hosts, and it will be really interesting hearing your perspectives on that throughout the podcast today. And the world in which you thrive in is burlesque. And this is the root of your performing arts outside of, of course, studying dance professionally. And I think a lot of people who are engaged in the drag sphere have a working understanding about burlesque, but maybe the people who are listening don't have the greatest of understanding. But what kind of intersections can you make between drag and burlesque? And what does burlesque maybe have more that drag doesn't have to offer? Mm. Yes, the intersections of drag and burlesque, they have been around for a very long time. One of the primary intersections is women who do burlesque dating drag kings. Unsure why that's a thing, but that is a common thing. Oh, uh, yeah. But yeah, drag and burlesque have existed and coexisted forever. Like burlesque goes back to the vaudeville era. That's where burlesque comes from. And burlesque is stripping. And something burlesque has more than drag has is women in the art form. Because as much as drag is like, some people see it as female impersonation. Some people see it as playing in gender. It is still a male-dominated field. Burlesque is femme, female-dominated, and run as it should be. That's who has been doing it and who should be celebrated for doing it. How do you feel the burlesque scene compares between St. John's, Newfoundland, Labrador, and Toronto, where you've recently lived? I think it's just very different, and that can come down to like an access and exposure level. And I'd say we could say the same thing about drag in St. John's versus drag in Ottawa, drag in St. John's versus drag in Toronto. Now, the one difference is drag is so mainstream nowadays that no matter where you live, you can see RuPaul's Drag Race. You can see all of these different artists of different stripes across social media. Burlesque is not quite the same level. Like, there's no mainstream burlesque, in my opinion. There's no Dita Von Teese's tease race, <laughs> as much as that would be very entertaining. <laughs> I would watch that. So, I would watch that in a heartbeat. I would want to compete in it and come 15th place on a reality TV show again. <laughs> We'll get into that later. (laughs) (laughs) If you can't read yourself. (laughs) But yeah, so St. John's is just like this, this, the access level isn't the same and the vision and what it can possibly be isn't the same. And all I want to do when going into new spaces with my burlesque, with my drag is show people, oh, this can be more than you think it is. You can also get paid more than you think you should. Pay performing artists a workable wage. Please. Please? Please thank you? Please and thank you. Uh, That's one major difference that I've seen between St. John's and here in Ottawa. Like, a weekly gig is, like, $150 for a host, and then, like, weekend is, like, $200. People don't even consider that a host should be paid more than other people performing. And that just is common sense, in my opinion. And I've been in a lucky position where I've been afforded spaces or shows with budgets or that sell out so I can pay my cast more. But like, I just did a drag brunch at the rec room and Ida Kumquat, former guest of Toast Mistress, was my host. And I paid her a hundred dollars more than other cast members because she was doing a huge amount more work. Yeah. 
And I think that requires, well, maybe it doesn't require some transparency, but like also requires some expectation of that being the case. I, for instance, hosted, well, I mean, you were my plus one at the Giselle Lullaby show back in December. I was paid more as a host, which was unexpected. But then I was like, oh, this should be the norm. It should be the norm. And also for that show, you were bringing a very specific skill set that not a lot of people in St. John's Drag have. Good hosting skills. Joking. <laughs> Being bilingual. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I, I completely stand behind that. And being now involved in drag shows, this is a newer experience for you as an artist. So what provoked your transition into drag a few years ago? When did you start doing drag? Uh, It was a slow transition because I started working with drag performers in Toronto and started kind of getting influenced by the art they were making. And like back in the day when I was first watching RuPaul's Drag Race season five, watching Jinx Monsoon win from my my like uh, high school bedroom, I was like, oh, I want to do that. I want to be a drag performer. And I was like, no, not talented at makeup. Can't do that. Mm. Uh, neither was Jinx at then, the time. Neither was she. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we both looked terrible on our first season. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but then the slow transition started, I'd say, in 2019. Uh, I joined a group for Empire's Ball, which is a yearly competition that happens in Toronto put up by Scarlet Bobo, and it was led by a drag king and, and a couple other drag kings and gender performers, and they asked me to join the team. I was like, you know I don't do drag, right? This is a drag competition. They're like, yeah, we just want you to come and do what you do. I was like, all right, boys. And I came and did it, and every week was told that I had a perfect score for the judges, whether the makeup was good or not, the performance was on, and <sighs> then my team won. So I was like, oh, I need to exist in this drag world because I will do very well here, apparently. So at the end of the day, the transition choice was purely financial. I wanted to work more. Drag is hot. I got to get in drag. I noticed the explosion ever since really 2019. It was was an interesting kind of time for drag locally because Canada, we got exposed to season eight of RuPaul's Drag Race as per Netflix that Mm -hmm. came out end of probably 2017. And then I think it got ideas percolating a lot. And then people were conceived as drag artists. And then, like myself, emerged in 2019, like you. So it was at that time. There's a lot of local drag artists here in Ottawa that are actually competing in the finale of the Empire Ball. Yes, I did know that. They're going to, the prize money has gone up quite a lot, but I'm so happy to see it's still happening. And also happened to be part of a group that was like, no one in our team was a drag queen and we won that drag competition. And that does not happen very often. Right. And to have started your drag career as like tens across the board must have been an amazing feeling. It really was. And it kind of like gave me the comfort and push to like go into that world more. But I genuinely didn't call what I was doing drag probably until like, maybe 2021 or even like 2022 in some ways because I'm very wary of like how how I label what I do and taking up space and if I don't think what I'm doing is quite drag I don't want to call myself that because I don't want to confuse people and also there's people doing drag out there so for a while I'd always call myself drag adjacent 
Yeah, and it seems like you've coined a more novel term for it as draglesque. Draglesque. It's drag-inspired burlesque. Because for a while, it was definitely more burlesque with, like, touches of drag thrown in there, a lip sync, because I can't do six numbers and strip on every single one, because that's exhausting. Mm -hmm. So I'll do one strip tease and one lip sync. But I'm not the only one out there doing, like, kind of draglesque stuff. There's a couple different artists across the country, and I'm happy that it's, like, being seen more and being considered drag as well. And especially for me, like, I'm not trying to look like a woman. I'm not a drag queen, and that's confusing for a lot of people. It is, and I think that, and I I believe Irma Gerd talked about it a lot as well, about, like, subverting gender as a drag artist, and it's very true. A traveled lad, of course. What have been some of your favorite experiences near and abroad with your art? Uh, near and abroad, I, I'm honestly so lucky how much traveling I've gotten to do with my art. Like, before I started drag, I had already essentially performed burlesque coast to coast within Canada. And, like, I feel like every time I get to go to a new city, I love the, that I get to perform, but I love that I get to be exposed to how people do it in different cities because I feel like that helps my art grow so much. And I can pull from like the local host, the local performer, the local this, that, and be like, oh, I can learn from those too. I'm going to take from all of you. Yeah, amazing. And so like some experiences in particular that come to mind? Well, I feel like getting to say that I've headlined a burlesque show in Anchorage, Alaska is just like really wild because Alaska was not on my list of places that I was like, I gotta go there. But as soon as like the message came knocking, I was like, oh, I'm making this happen. This will be amazing. And it genuinely was. <laughs> That's so good. Anchorage, Alaska, that is far away. And, you know, geographically challenged people think that that's a part of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they certainly do. And like, I don't know, the weather was more similar there to places in Canada I've been, to places in the U.S. I've been. I also went there like late January. I, the, the message to hire me was, do you want to come to Alaska in the dead of winter during the pandemic? I was like, mm, yes. Yeah, I'm used to this. I'm acclimatized. And it's fine. Yeah, the weather was so similar to St. John's other than the fact that they just don't plow the roads there because it's just the snow is so consistent. You just hope for the best if you like are swerving around. Oh, yeah. Hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, Speaking of St. John's, uh, what is it about Newfoundland and Labrador that keeps drawing you back to drop your anchor? Well, I do love dropping my anchor wherever it may go. Uh, <laughs> but St. John's and Newfoundland in general, and not everyone who's from here has this feeling because like, it can be a traumatizing place to grow up queer because you just don't think you can do and be who you are here. And like I didn't think that, and that's why I moved away back in 2013. But coming back here, August 2020, and just seeing how much things have shifted and changed, it was like, oh my God, it is not the same place that I grew up. It is not the same Cornerbrook. It's not the same St. John's. It's vastly different. And there's just something about being here, being queer, being by the water, being near people who just kind of get it that is so special. And you just can't, you can't find that elsewhere. Right. It's like a, a group therapy session <laughs> for queer people. Mm -hmm. 
genuinely i'm like okay i'm going back into this place that's a little scary the accents are a little triggering but it's fine they also make me feel at home mm-hmm. so it's it's definitely a place that i always want to keep in my rotation like i'm living here now but i don't see myself living here forever but the goal and the dream for me as soon as i finished my dance degree was like oh i want to work between newfoundland and elsewhere yeah and you manifested that and it came true it happened who knew and i but i feel like every time like like getting into burlesque getting into drag getting into dance these things just keep happening like i i i'm working hard and i'm putting myself in these places but i would have never expected i would be doing any of these things like if you told me in high school i was going to study dance i would have never believed you if you told me when i was finishing my dance degree i was going to be an international touring burlesque dancer i would have never believed you like I don't, these things just keep happening to me. We ultimately crossed paths. I believe it was in 2021. And there was a show in particular in July. I think we were in like an opulence ball together. Or were we in Fierce Fierce 5 with Fashionista Jones? Maybe it was that. Uh, my first show in St. John's was when Barbara was putting off. You weren't in that one. No. And then I did Betty's Mother's Day show. Did you do that one? No, I was going to, but I wasn't feeling well that night. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. I think we did I... Drags Giving together. We did like a Thanksgiving. No. no. No, I can't place what it was, but it was something. We totally did a show together because I remember it was a lovely experience. And I think that I guess the first time I got to work with you. Yeah, because I had watched you previously at a show and I was doing a gig in Mount Pearl for Pride. And then as I was driving from Mount Pearl back to St. John's to do a show at Velvet, I picked you up. Yes, you did because I live downtown and I like to have a beverage with my show and I was not driving because that is unsafe. Exactly. Was that the first time that we like hung out i'm putting in quotations that the podcast listeners can't see yeah you know what i think so it was that you know literal two and a half minute drive (laughs) from gear street all the way down to oh my god not gear street (laughs) all the way down to velvet and i would just like to reflect back to you that you said some very amazing things to me that night that i still hold very dearly to my drag art it was extremely validating things to hear do you remember what they were usually the things i compliment you on is your ability to lip sync that's for sure and also i guess the like the reference choices and the drama that you can exhibit on stage i don't know exactly what i said to you that night yeah those things were definitely communicated and it's always very endearing hearing from you about the whole lip syncing bit because obviously you've seen drag here there and everywhere and for me to have that kind of prominence in your mind it means a lot to me but you also said to me you asked me how long I've been doing drag and I said I've been doing drag for just two years at that point I think and you were bowled over with that statement that sounds about right yeah I when I witness someone at a show that really stands out and really like knocks me on my ass, essentially, I want to tell them and I want to have that moment with them because I 
come from a performance background. I went to school for dance. I'm very critical about performance and I can't turn that part of my brain off. So if a performer can like knock me on my ass, make me stop thinking, make me just watch them the whole time, I want to have a conversation with them just to tell them that first of all, oh my God, you're amazing. And also kind of hear what they were thinking and feeling while they were performing because it's so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I typically just black out <laughs> when performing. <laughs> Listen, she Most doesn't... drag queens black out, but for different reasons. Exactly. I don't drink and drag, but the thing is, it's like I dial into the character and then, and I had mentioned before, like it's so important for me to get videos back because I don't remember so much being in it because it's like a very out-of-body experience. But that was a very fun show that we did. And what I do remember is um, I personally can't stand summer drag because it is a no-go zone for makeup. I am a sweaty queen in general. And then on top of that, having heat that's unreal. It was just intolerable. So made it through it, but here comes another summer. That's right around the corner. Yeah, next week in Ottawa is supposed to be over 30 degrees every day. I'm going to Las Vegas next week, and it's supposed to be 37 degrees. And then I'm going to the neighboring state in just over two weeks, which is considered the high desert. So maybe I'm just a sucker for punishment, but I won't be doing drag down there. So I guess I'll just be able to suffer as my uh, my person self. <laughs> You're not going to be one of the real drag housewives of Salt Lake City? No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Unless it's like a a combination of like 90 Day Fiance and real drag wives of Salt Lake City to like get me to be like really there in the moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I I see it for you. (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you how many people have told me to watch Real Housewives of Salt Lake City before I go down there. Uh, so I am not a Housewives fan at all, but one of my absolute best friends is a huge fan, and she forced me to watch a couple episodes of Salt Lake City. I was like, oh, this is actually entertaining. These people are wild. Yeah, imprisoned and... Imprisoned! <laughs> yeah, so anyways, I, I told one of my friends up here that this weekend I was going to commit to watching some of it, because it's important cultural homework. It's research, and you are an academic. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to do some qualitative research on the <laughs> sociodemographic status of Salt Lake City. Oh, my. So, like, you're back in St. John's. Where can we expect to see you in a few years' time? Like, what? what's your goal? The goal I'm manifesting, putting out there, is I want to headline more burlesque events. Like, I see people I know in the industry who are incredible performers getting flown to different parts of the country or different parts of the world to be the feature performer at a burlesque weekend. And I did that on the small scale in Anchorage, where it was not a festival, but a showcase that they brought me in to be the feature performer at. And I want to keep doing that because I, and I I don't mean this in any cocky way, but I know my skill set and I know my strength on stage and I know I can do that. So like, it's going to happen. (laughs) And confidence, not cockiness. I think Mm -hmm. that it's also a bit of a challenge with queer people, just owning what we're good at without the fear of sounding cocky. And I think it was an important message that like Lux Noir London had on the recent season of Drag Race US that, yeah, we can be confident. So yeah, you're confident in your skills. We see you. We watch you. We see your ass cheeks. 
We know that you're <laughs> able to shake it down, move around. And yeah, we'll manifest that together for you to headline more of those burlesque shows. Yeah, but I, I feel like for a while, my focus had been like on getting into the drag scene, getting like a name in drag, I guess. But I kind of left my burlesque behind a little bit as much as it came into every performance. I was like, oh, this is where I am home in nightlife performance. And I can't ignore how much this part of my art has done for me. As much as it's fun doing drag and there's genu- generally more money in drag, I love burlesque so much. It's not getting left behind. Yeah. And if one thing I recognize with your conversion over to drag performing is that you are so committed to the lip syncing aspect of it. I remember when we did that show together and maybe another show that up until like the last like five seconds before you have to head down the staircase to go and start your number, you've got the earphones in, you are listening, and you are getting those mouth movements going so you can match up the lip sync. It's so important. <laughs> yeah. Have you found that to be probably one of the most challenging things for you converting into drag? Yep. I have found lip syncing and makeup, those aspects of drag, incredibly hard. It has not come easy to me at all. And sometimes I am the kind of person that when I'm not getting it quickly, I get frustrated. But I care about performance so much and I care about what I put on a stage so much that I can surpass that. I'm like, okay. I am just going to have to work at that. And I feel like when you're probably engaged so intensely with those two creative aspects of your brain, that it might, you know, be a challenge getting them both out to the, I get the impression that you're a bit of a perfectionist too. And to get out in that like perfectionist style. So I see I had an interesting conversation up here with another artist, how like when they're dancing and stuff, they sometimes forget to lip sync. I was going to say that. I find that with younger dancing queens and I found that with myself too, because obviously dance is a huge part of my drag. I see old videos of like my early shows in St. John's and like, I'm just straight up not lip syncing. And I don't remember not lip syncing, but I was like, oh God, that is not great. (laughs) Right. If you're not going to lip sync, just do the Monet exchange and turn around. (laughs) (laughs) just turn around and throw your hands to the back exactly hit some beats with the music as it's coming along and give the crowd the impression every time I don't know the words I just have Shea Coulee in my head speaking of Valentina she doesn't know the words (laughs) it was honestly iconic yeah I mean a message to the masses subtweeting if it is but you get the choice to choose whatever song you're going to perform Learn the words. Literally. I noticed some conversations around Sasha Colby and people online were like, oh my gosh, she wasn't lip syncing that part. I was like, yeah, because she's lip syncing the lead vocals. She's not lip syncing the group put into the song. She's like the lead artist. You don't don't have to lip sync every single part of the song. Yeah. And I think that's a note that's missed by a number of drag performers that is very important to bring up because you're not a backup singer in these songs that you're portraying Mm -hmm. on stage. Yeah. Like how well do you know the song that you're portraying and why would you be a backup singer for your own lead performance? Yep. I was in New York recently with two of my best friends and we went to club coming owned by Alan coming uh, and a drag performer who 
evidently was much older, named Princess Brittany, was helped onto the stage. She had a mobility device and she just stood there and did the song. I don't remember what the song was. It was some classic. And the, the she knew every single word and she only did the lead vocals. And it was a master class in performance. She didn't dance because she, can, she can't do that anymore. But her lip syncing, her face, her presence was wild. I was blown away. I was also a little, little drunk. But yeah. it was incredible. <laughs> yeah. There's so much more that goes into lip syncing that people don't recognize and what makes someone a good lip sync artist and a great lip sync artist. One of it you mentioned, it's great lead vocals. A hundred percent. My side of things, making your Adam's apple or your larynx go up and down you can make the vocal gesture itself without letting the sound out. So I sing the song as I'm performing, but I just don't open my vocal cords. And I don't know if that's like a kinesthetic sense that I've developed over the years, but you can hear sometimes like the breathiness of people like saying the words, kind of hearing the words. But speaking of like the breathiness, also the breath work. You are portraying a singer. Singers need a power source what's the power source breath (laughs) breath work and you can hear it you can hear it in songs some over edited songs get the breath work taken out but i mean one of my favorite songs that i love performing is and i am telling you i'm not going and when jennifer holiday which in my opinion is the best version when jennifer holiday goes into the very last note she takes a breath that like sucks all of the air out of the room. And I've seen people perform that song and not take that breath. And I'm like, it's audible. She's like, <gasps> you know, so it, you got to really dig into it. And so I, if I'm ever going to adjudicate lip syncing, I'm going to of course do like the synchronicity part of it, the breath work, the articulation and lead singing. Like those are mm-hmm. very important cornerstones to, to mention. And I know there's a lot of drag artists predominantly that listen to this podcast. So there's some free advice you can take to the bank and you'll yeah. get more bank because of it. Cause you will engage exactly. the audience. Mm-hmm. And another thing that really engages the audience, as we we're just mentioning your biggest asset as a performer Like, we live in an epidemic of lack of rhythm. If you listen to, like, the last episode, Love and I gripe over our lack of dance moves. Uh, It is something that you have brought up to me in the past, too, and, like, in the very kind manner. And so, like, what advice can you give to struggling left foot artists? Uh, Well, first of all, as a white person with rhythm, it is my personal responsibility to keep everyone (laughs) clapping on two and four in the room when someone on stage starts getting the audience to clap. And, like, you'd think in Newfoundland, where music and step dancing is such a big part of our culture, the boys be able to clap on two and four. But they really can't. So I thankfully have a very loud clap, Mm -hmm. and I keep it going. Yeah. So, (laughs) first of all, that is my responsibility, and I do it. Second of all, not being afraid of dance i think it's such an important thing like just going for it and do like if you need to do the work 
research, watch videos, do all that, take a heels class to learn how to properly walk in your heels, one foot in front of the other. But it's not as hard or as scary as people think it actually is. And I've seen people grow so much by just trying. Like I think of a performer like Terra Nova in St. John's, and I'd say this to her face, so I'm gonna say it. When I saw early videos of her performing, it was too left feet. There was no rhythm, but I've seen how much work she's put into that aspect because it doesn't come to her as easily. And I'm so impressed by that work and that work ethic. Yeah. And I think we should take a second to give Terra Nova, Terra Nova, Terra Nova Terra her full flowers because that artist took the stage for the very first time during one of the shows that I hosted, I gave her um, the ability to perform during like the tip for a tune portion uh, that I recognize wholly came from like the secret show at uh, the Flem Fatales show. I do not take responsibility. I just didn't want to use the same name. And also and there's- that comes from Toronto and the secret show in Toronto from uh house of filth there so like that is a long history of how it got to you yeah isn't like the og like drag roulette i think it's like the kind of drag roulette thing but the way they would do it in toronto was house of filth it'd be drag roulette but they all had to smoke some weed before they did it (gasps) i don't know if that's what the phlegms did when they first started doing it but that's what came from house of filth to phlegm fatale to chamois to fortune yeah so like we are begging borrow and stealing and the, the concept for this, for people listening, is that at the end of the main sections of shows, audience members can pay some money to the DJ to choose a song to have one of the artists in general to perform that they don't know about. Yeah, it, it's a... Uh, anyways, I got on a huge tangent. So essentially, Terra Nova debuted during this Tip for Tune segment with a Lady Gaga song and she had showed up in an entire outfit that she made by herself. She has gone on to make outfits that have been portrayed on Canada's Drag Race, wigs that have been portrayed on Canada's Drag Race. She has done you over in high femme drag in so much that you didn't even recognize who you were. People did not know it was me. The amount of messages I got being like, I was scrolling and saw this drag queen, and then I realized it was you. Yeah. <laughs> Tara had made me a wonderful outfit for Call Me Mother that did not get seen, and I was like, okay, I get to do a photo shoot. I am giving Tara complete creative control. She will put me in drag head to toe and show just how talented she is, and also how quickly it was. It was wild how quick she stamped my face down. I have never looked better. I don't think I will ever look better. <laughs> yeah, man, I feel that came up to me because I had a drag show later that night with my own regular clothes and aesthetic, and it did not match the face. But people were like, you look different tonight. I was like, I shaved and I'm painted like a drag queen. Of course, they look different vibes. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's something I can't put my finger on. It's like, oh, well, maybe my whole Hang aesthetic on. is different. <laughs> the lack of facial hair. <laughs> It's yeah. fine. But I, I absolutely adore Terranova of how hard she works and puts it, and like how much passion she puts into her drag. And I love every time I get to work with her. She is so, so professional. 
yeah, and I hope I get to work with her sometime again in the future, but she deserves all of her flowers. She is a prime representation of someone putting their whole puss into Mm -hmm. the art of drag, and I hope it pays off for her in the future. I thought of another piece of advice that I should have said. Yeah. Uh, Like I said, take a class. I think that could be in general in drag. I find, because a lot of drag artists come from zero performance background or they're learning as they're doing in nightlife, there's just like no push to go get some other skills. Take a class in makeup, take a class in dance, take a class in clown. Like you can improve upon your art ways outside of just by performing. And I think it's so important. Yes, it is. And it's something that I do in my own professional life. But you always have to learn and grow. It is not fun or even self-actualizing in this lifetime to just stay stagnant and complacent. You have the full capacity to grow as an individual in whatever you do. So, of course, go take... Uh, makeup classes, do the dance classes, and do clowning classes. It was something that I was, it was my own inner saboteur that got in my way because backslash garbage file, who I love with my entire heart, had done the clown workshop back in St. John's a number of years ago and advertised it. And I was about to sign up and do it. But I was like, oh, I don't think like I'm good enough. Like, or maybe it's too vulnerable for me. But it is definitely something in my future bucket list as a drag artist is to do a clown class. Because mm-hmm. what else is drag besides clownery and tomfoolery? Well, think of someone like Jimbo, who is a trained clown and how quick they are and how impressive they are and having that perspective how much it elevates their art like it's we all come at it from different ways and doesn't mean we can't keep getting better and keep learning from each other and maybe people will listen to this podcast and learn how to be a better host yes i am listening to this podcast to learn how to be a better host because that is a skill that scares me in drag because i consider myself a great performer a great mover great start to finish in a number but i find hosting really scary because I'm not a huge talker. Like, it's just not something that I do a lot, especially with new people. So getting on stage with a mic, the first time I ever did it was absolutely terrifying. And it's still a little bit scary every time, but it is getting better through, a, I guess, exposure therapy. <laughs> and I mean, my gosh, this podcast episode is standing true to that test. But we're obviously familiar as friends <laughs> at this point, so it's yeah. easy for us to, like, gab for, for an hour. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're getting a lot of amazing ideas from you. But one other aspect of art that you have delved into in the past few years that I also was a part of your journey for this, which I felt really lovely about. Um, And it's funny now because I'm in such a different space of mind than I was at that time because I had just moved up here to Ottawa and... Now I'm here for almost two years, but at that time, folks, Newfound Lad wrote an article for the Dance Current, and this is a national dance magazine here in Canada. So he dances, he strips, and he writes. How does it feel having your art be transcribed through so many different mediums? Well, I think for me, it's the way I get to access my art and the lens I get to put it under. 
because as much as hosting is scary because there's a lack of preparation in that, with writing, I get to put it out there on a page, go through an editing process, really refine what I put out there, which is so important to me and definitely feeds into the perfectionist aspect of what I do. But it's an interesting, different medium, like not a huge amount of people in drag scenes are also writing about what's happening in the drag scene. And it's useful for shining a light on what's happening elsewhere. And at the time I was feeling incredibly frustrated because I was witnessing all this amazing art in St. John's, all these amazing performers, but who weren't being elevated on shows like Canada's Drag Race, on shows like Call Me Mother season one. And I was like, hey, people here are doing really cool stuff and no one is looking at it. I had to move away to Toronto and come back to really see it. So we should be talking about it and showcasing it. Yeah, and you did such an incredible job with that article. Clearly, you poured over it many hours to get it to read as flowery as it did. It was an incredible work, and you did the drag community in St. John's a huge service in that way. You had interviewed me and Barbara Bardot, Lorinda Mood and Backslash Garbage File and misdiagnosed out of Cornerbrook. Yes, another West Coast legend and a lot of gems out of West Coast, of course. There's mm-hmm. myself, there's you, there's Irma Gerd, misdiagnosed, uh, Fashionista Jones, Misty. So it, it is. And when we say West Coast, we mean West Coast of Newfoundland, not West Coast of Canada, guys. We're not I, from BC. Yeah, obviously. I confuse they... people with that all the time. I'm like, I'm from the West Coast. They're like, you're from Vancouver. I'm like, no, I'm not. I or... know. And I think that people from outside of Newfoundland, and especially outside of the Atlantic provinces, don't think that the island is big enough to have coasts. So it's like, oh, you're from Newfoundland. It's like, no, girl. Like, it is a big province. Mm-hmm. And... I, I had some of my classmates think not realize that Newfoundland was an island either, but that is um, an educational lens that needs to be refined, I think. Well, I was going to educate the mainlanders now. Uh, right. But like that's just my Newfie-centric <laughs> view on, on things, right? But yeah, Absolutely. west coast of Newfoundland and Labrador. And you elevated these voices because you didn't want to... Uh, sorry... <laughs> I guess, well, you didn't want them to be discontained to Newfoundland and Labrador. You wanted them on national stages. And guess what happened? You ended up on a national stage <laughs> on season two of Call Me Mother on Out TV Go. How was that experience for you? Weird, to put it lightly. I actually just wrote a follow-up article for The Dance Current, and I pitched it to them basically saying, hey, my first article was about this lack of representation now it's happened. Three people from the East Coast, myself, Irma Gerd, and Maya Fox, have all been on Canadian drag reality TV representing the East Coast. What has changed, if anything? What has been the impact, if anything? And for me, it was a televised experience of my disappointment because you, everyone goes on to these shows and you never want to be the one that goes home first. And you especially never want to be the one that goes home first with two other people. Oh my gosh, yes. I was uh, for a little while because seven people go home in three episodes. Spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the season, I was calling it Call Me Mother because it was an absolute culling for the first three episodes. We're like, we invited too many. We got to get rid of them now. Yeah, budget ran out. 
budget absolutely ran out spending too much money on skip the dishes in north bay ontario staying at a travel but lodge staying at a travel lodge the group chat is called trauma lodge <laughs> but i don't regret the experience like i was so excited one to be reached out to audition that was really cool knowing that someone in a casting agency saw what i do liked what i do enough to reach out and be like hey you should give a shot at this thing and then getting accepted to do it, it was so gratifying and in a time where i questioned if i fit into drag communities if i fit into drag spaces i was like oh i actually do the show didn't go in my direction evidently but mm-hmm. i still left knowing it's like okay they didn't get it but i know i get it i know i did a good job and they just didn't understand it i knew that was a complete possibility but i'm not gonna let this get me down i'm gonna go out there and do my own thing and because i don't get to show people what i did would have done on these other episodes i'm gonna travel across the country and show them no it was incredible i was so excited seeing you for that one episode of call me mother and it was it this has been kind of my little thread between the last few episodes because holly cow had mentioned being screeched in with love we talked about her performance of a screech in ceremony and when we get back after this break from our sponsors i'd like to continue this thread of perhaps the kiss of death when it comes to representing pure newfism on different big stages is it a kiss of death can it ever garner success let's get into it after this break from our sponsors Toastmistresses is proudly sponsored by Display Rules, a mental health awareness clothing company that starts conversations and stops the stigma. 20% of all profits made go towards mental health organizations in Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find them online at Display Rules on Instagram or www.displayrules.com. Go check out their stuff. They have a lot of amazing apparel and clothing that would make for a lovely gift for yourself or others. So go check out their website. This is a dear friend of mine, and I definitely don at least 10 articles of clothing that I have acquired from them over the years, and they continue doing great work. All right, so on season two of Call Me Mother, one of your I believe it was your talent portion, right? That you engaged in some newfie behavior. Was there anything that didn't make the edit that you would like to share that might have changed the perspectives? Well, they're cutting, they had to fit 15 different talents into like a 60 minute television show. So honestly, a lot of what I said didn't make the edit. And my little newfie rant, I'll call it very Rick Mercer, had a beginning, middle, and end to the arc of it, but it kind of just sounded like in the edit, here's a newfie sentence, here's a newfie sentence, here's a newfie sentence, now I'm stripping. So I don't think it looked bad, but it was, in my opinion, better than how it was portrayed. But I don't think that was like intentional because I was going home that episode. I genuinely just think it came down to time. Right. Do you feel like they hit the highlights then of what you had portrayed? I would have probably edited it a little differently, which is something like I've learned in the last couple of years, especially of producing like work for online 
pandemic, like I was working at a dance studio and I choreographed some numbers that someone else took and edited. I was like, oh my God, I would have done that completely differently. Why did they do it like that? That's not my creative vision. Right. But when you go on a TV show, you give them the material and they take from it what you will. So that part, I think they showed an, an average version of what was, I think, a very good performance. But the part that I was more frustrated they took away was at the end, if no one has watched Call Me Mother, which I know most people have not, uh, <laughs> at least they haven't watched anything except for season, season two, episode one, the mm-hmm. best episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't get picked from your talent, you move on to T, where there's time for the judges slash mothers, mentors to ask us questions and also us to speak to them. And I honestly, in my very humble opinion, gave the best speech of why I should be picked. And it was definitely chopped right down. But mm. after I said what I had to say on set, Peppermint looked over and said, wow, just out loud to everyone. And it just was a moment that I wish made it, right. but didn't quite. And it's not uncommon for Newfound Lad to wow people. Because mm-hmm. I, I put a lot of thought into what I wanted to say. I was like, okay, I've been somehow didn't get picked from talent, had no idea why, because they don't give you feedback unless you get picked and you move on. And all of a sudden I was thrust into this position where I was like, oh, I might be leaving this competition and it's barely started. I'm going to be so succinct and so exactly sell myself. And I believe I did, but they, from what I've heard, they had already made a a decision that they were not picking me based on other reasons more so on the aesthetic aspects of drag. So yeah, what can you do? And especially if you're not told that, I would have talked about it if I'd known, but it's TV, baby. That's TV. And <laughs> at least one part of the experience, you got to walk away with one of Barbados wigs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I absolutely did. Uh, Barbada, well, we all stayed in the same hotel and she, I, I got a lucky thing that the other two first out competitors didn't get. After I was eliminated, we had to do these like exit interviews and where we take off our makeup. They were going to have me first because they felt I was the most calm at the time. Uh, but then they ended up having someone else first. So I was just in a dirty hallway standing on carpet without my heels on because my feet hurt too much, which happened to be right next to the bathroom where all of the mothers needed to go because we had just wrapped filming. So I got to have a personal moment with Barbada, Crystal, and Peppermint off camera. And it was honestly really lovely just to have that human to human moment that you don't get when you're filming a TV show. Cause yeah. as much as like I'm here, the judges are here, it's actually quite a distance away from the stage and they're putting on for TV. I'm putting on for TV. It's not real. So be able to like, chat with <gasps> what? Data, chat. I know reality TV isn't real. The producers are telling you, Hey, talk about this. Yeah. Hey, Newton lad, ask if there's any, if anyone else from the East coast there having already met Maya Fox at the Toronto airport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Barbada was like, I think you should, I want, I'm, I want to give you the wig I was wearing today. Last season, I gave a bunch of stuff to my drag daughters, and I want to give you this because I think, I think you'll use it. And I think that was her saying, hey, try wearing wigs next time. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't wear a wig on the first episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You were really like, yeah, I'm going to show you everything else once you pick me. Yeah. Well, I was like, okay, first episode, branding. Yeah. This is who I am as a performer this is the potential. This is a show supposedly about mentorship and potential. I'm not going to like go outside of my box when I'm showcasing what I do. Like that just doesn't make any sense in my opinion. I completely agree with you there. 
Oh, well, I mean, you've been there. You've done that. You maybe didn't get a t-shirt because perhaps budget. <laughs> I didn't get a, a Freddy robe like the rest of the cast did, but that's fine. Oop. Yeah. Uh, well, they're probably like, well, she's not going to keep it on anyways. <laughs> Literally. They're like, no, use it. It'll be on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. And so you were able to, I guess, with this, host a few things back in St. John's, right? Like you hosted probably the first viewing party of Call Me Mother. And as I mentioned earlier, you are uh, a cast member extraordinaire. Is there, are there any favorite experiences that you had from either when you've had your few moments of hosting or observing hosting? I think my favorite personal hosting moment actually goes really way back. And it was my first time hosting a burlesque show. Uh, Back in 2018, I believe, I taught an intro to burlesque workshop with an amazing performer named Bomb Bomb Bombay. We had a whole class of boylesque performers. So it was performers who who were men or wanted to present a male archetype on stage or drag king, like burlesque, but in a more like masculine direction. That doesn't mean the performance has to be masculine. It just felt like that's the person that wants to take this class. I had to host the student showcase, which I was scared shitless about doing because I don't get on a mic. That's not what I do. And I don't think I did an amazing job, but what was really great and the part I think I did best was I got to speak about each of these students, their experience and my experience with them. And that made it really easy to talk about those things. I got to speak about my human experience mentoring this person, what I learned from this person. And that was so easy to pull on. And I think that part is missing sometimes in hosting and performing as much as we're this over-the-top character we're human too and we're doing this for the human to human connection like there's no fourth wall in drag and burlesque you're there i'm here bye so let's have a conversation yeah and on the episode with love she talks about vulnerability and being a host and that connection aspect so i think it's very important to drive that home that we are human and it's important for us to hone in on that. And for you as a cast member, what have been some hosting experiences that you've been witness to that have been like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to take that. Or I really resonated with that. Or, well, I think I noticed how a host deals with their cast and deals with, especially if there's different kinds of performers in the cast, like as someone who is, did not start in drag, started in burlesque, I really recognize when a host is prepping the audience for what they're about to get. And too often when a burlesque performer is in a drag show, they don't get the correct treatment in my opinion. The audience isn't told, hey, what's about to happen is actually different. It's a different thing. There's a different kind of reaction. You're about to potentially see a woman come up here and strip. She's not gonna lip sync, but you can still and should give her your money. And I think that's setting the expectations for the audience thing, but also a safety thing for the performer and helping them have a better experience on stage and helping the whole room have a better experience. Like hosting is a huge responsibility on taking care of all of these people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you are keeping your flock together. And yeah, it is a much more of a multifaceted role than I think people recognize. They're like, oh, you just like jump on the mic and then you say some stuff. It's like, you didn't see like the group chat for the last week when we're trying to manage who's going to do what, when, where, why, and then yep. getting to the event, hoping everyone shows up on time. La la la. 
it's it's a lot have um, a lot of work yeah what have been some differences in hosting observed through doing burlesque centric shows and drag centric shows i feel like in a lot of the burlesque contexts and i don't mean this as shade to drag performers but there has been a lot more preparation and care in advance sending in of bios sending in of notes of things you want to say uh more knowledge on what the performance is about to do whereas in a lot of drag scenes that's just not happening mm-hmm. like some perfor- some hosts do that some hosts do the research and do the work i am not tarring the amazing hosts that i work with either come quite shame why etc etc not her i don't i've never worked in australia uh, <laughs> you can't say et cetera, that et cetera. <laughs> yeah but it's just i'm not seeing always the same level of effort put in by some drag hosts that i see in people hosting burlesque shows which i would like to see more of if i'm being honest but maybe they're not being compensated very well and don't want to put the effort in so i also get it yeah i think that there there's a lot of facets that go into it there have been a few times when i've hosted and the most tragic thing is not knowing the flow of your own show and especially if there's like minimum six people in your cast you're like up there on stage and they immediately draw a blank it's like who is next? And then that kind of trumps the idea of like giving them a whole introduction because it's like, oh, I literally forgot who's coming on stage next. So like, let's just get them up there. No further ado. But you're so right. And we have had chats before on the podcast about plugging socials, but just plugging who these individuals are is also a huge critical component for instance, being up here in Ottawa, I haven't really gotten a full bio coming onto stages. I've been called a drag veteran, which has been an interesting aspect. But I've had to do my own bios when microphones have been handed to me. And then it kind of begs the question, like, whose job is it really to do the introducing? Because, I mean, if that information is not garnered before, then it's hard for you to come up with it because you literally don't know these people. But, yeah, that's a completely valid point to bring up in terms of differentiating aspects. So I'm hosting my first show in Ottawa as a solo host next week. And you know what? I think I'll add some bio components because that's something that I would like to take from the hosting in the burlesque realm to really become an important part in the drag realm this podcast after all is also for me learning as well because everyone has their different approaches and experiences when it comes to hosting and i'm like kind of using it self-serving in a way but as well as helping like the masses with their better hosting skills that's so important And as you've been becoming more comfortable, we just referenced a time when you had hosted a few years ago and you weren't wholly comfortable. What are some tips and advice that you can give to people who aren't as comfortable with hosting and want to become more comfortable hosting? I honestly think it's doing the big scary thing (laughs) and getting up there and just getting on the mic and hosting. Uh, I was a person who really, really lacked confidence for a long time, all the way up until like, I would say like my third and fourth year of university, when I was like, oh, I'm getting, I've almost finished this degree, but I have no belief in myself as a person or as a performer. 
I need to work on this. And it's like the most cliche thing in the world. But like my one of my biggest mentors at the university was like, you just need to fake it and fake that confidence exists until it actually exists. Like the old fake until you make it. It's it's true. It's so like, true. No one knows what they're doing in this life. No. <laughs> you just got to keep trying the thing and pretending like you do. And then you have, you know, the offhand comments from your fellow performers being like, oh, you've only been doing it for two years. Like, yeah, I've been faking it. And, yeah. you know, if you want to come off as professional, fake it being professional. Who do you want to emulate, you know, showing up on time, being courteous, doing the zippers, um, helping out however you can other people. Like you were embodying like the the ideal, you know, uh, castmate that you want to be as well. So faking it until you make it, it is such an important piece of advice and maybe not taken as seriously as it should be. Mm -hmm. And it's just like about recognizing your skill set. Like I recognize that hosting is not something, one that I love to do, and it doesn't come that as easily to me. And I will do it in certain contexts, but I'm also happy to pay someone else to do it and defer to someone who gets so much joy. And I see the audience getting so much joy. Like I will always hire Ida Kumquat to host a show for me because I just want to sit back and watch an Ida Kumquat show. But I know I I know the audience is safe in her hands. So like, why not hire her? Yeah there was a reason why she was the first guest <laughs> on this podcast, you know, because she is a great template when it comes to what you would like to see in a host. And it is, you know, that energy exchange. And if you as a producer of a show don't feel that you would do the optimal job, deferring it is completely fine. And as well with your coming to terms with your own confidence it's also coming to terms with reality because you can focus in your skills on things that are going well, but then if you are able to find other people that can balance it out by doing things that aren't so skillful, then that's completely valid as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, your take home, your takeaway here, folks, is to get someone else to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Pay someone else who's better at it than you. <laughs> No, I mean, you shared a lot of good advice for, for folks that want to become better hosts and you yourself becoming a better host in the future because you are the whole package as well, my love. <laughs> Emphasis on the package. <laughs> yes, and she shows her package. <laughs> she certainly does. <laughs> yeah, so we have had moments together working together where we've been grateful to share the stage with one another and I like to take a moment in these episodes to do a bit of gratitude. So Newfound Lad, do you have three things that you are grateful for? Yes, I absolutely do. First and foremost, grateful for friends and family. Uh, I find it weird walking the line of like being a public performance figure and talking about like, the not so great aspects of life or going through a rough time. And 2023 has been a hard, hard year for me, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But time with friends and family, friends reaching out, like reaching out to me and asking me to hang out on Valentine's Day because you figured it was going to be a rough day for me. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that, I'm so grateful for. Like time with people. 
I'm also grateful for my man's baked goods. I was just home for a maid before weekend. And every time I go home, my grandmother makes me some kind of lemon dessert. And she always knocks it out of the park. And it is so tasty. <laughs> and the last thing I'm grateful for today, I guess the ability to go places. Like I'm traveling to Toronto tomorrow and I'm going to see my best friend pulling in that friend and family thing. And then I get to go to Las Vegas and perform at the Burlesque Hall of Fame. Like that I'm grateful for. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's incredible. And you're continuing your globe trotting adventures mm-hmm. because you're seeing the world and spreading your anger. Spreading my cheeks, baby. <laughs> spreading my cheeks. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and yeah, folks at home in the car or at work or at the gym or whichever setting you find yourself in listening to this podcast, what are three things that you are grateful for? It might not be as easy to come to you, but maybe you were just inspired by what Newfound Lad just shared about being grateful for. It is an important practice and I will continue to preach it because it's something that has affected me positively and when was the last time you took a moment to be grateful, Newfoundland? I, I think to actually put into words, I don't know the last time, but like this past weekend, just sitting with like my dad and my sisters, like I was just reflecting, I'm like, I am so lucky to have these wonderful people. So like, I was just like filled up with that gratefulness. Mm-hmm. And leaning into it and feeling special that way is so important. Mm-hmm. And kind of transferring over to other things that are present within your life and you taking part in, what are you listening to or reading or vibing with lately? How are you getting through the days? How many through the days? Absolutely podcasts. Like I don't listen to a lot of music because I find music for me is more utility for performance and stuff like that. So like whenever I'm driving places, it's supposed to be driving seven hours across Newfoundland to where I'm from. I will always have podcasts like Race Chaser on rotation. Yeehaw! <laughs> <laughs> the other day I did a media thing with Ida Kumquat at CBC at like 6.45 in the morning, which usually you don't see Ida Kumquat before 10 a.m. <laughs> but she was there. 10 minutes late, but she was there. Only 10. Uh, wow. New record. Only 10. I was very impressed. <laughs> uh, and like, I, we did the whole interview. It was a lot of fun. I got back in my car and turned on my car and the podcast started playing. And it was just Ida Kumquat's voice through the speaker. Oh. I, like, oh, I forgot I was listening to it right before <laughs> seeing her. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Podcasts definitely keep me going. And I've been playing Legends of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom so much because she's a little gamer <laughs> yeah can we have a little like metacritic review oh i'm loving it it's incredible i wish i could just like take a week and just dive into it but i don't have the time <laughs> isn't that the crisis of our adult life yeah i just wish that the amount of effort and time that the company that made this game put into it i wish pokemon would take that time because i am obsessed with pokemon i will always be a pokemon fan but I don't need a new Pokemon game as frequently as they're putting them out. Like, take your time and knock a game out of the park, like Tears of the Kingdom, which they're not going to do because they'll just keep making the money, and I'm still going to keep buying the games. Mm-hmm. Like, come on! <laughs> I know. And even with, like, their recent, like, downloadable content and stuff, it's like, is this, like, worth it? Is it coming out soon, or did it already come out? 
It's. I think it's sometime this fall. I'm not a hundred percent. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So, so we we got time. We do have time. Save up some tip dollars for it. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, what was I going to say? You had... Oh, utility of music. I think that's a good point that you brought up because us as artists, absolutely. It is so challenging. The hardest thing we probably have to go through is ruining our Spotify wrapped with songs (laughs) that we are practicing for shows. (laughs) I I am not a Spotify diva, but I I, I understand your pain. (laughs) Right. Thank you for sitting with my challenging time. (laughs) I will always give space for it, baby. (laughs) But it was so funny because uh, there... I, I performed for, like, the Idaho bit back home um, a few years ago, like, the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, Transphobia. And I was practicing a new song for it. And wouldn't you know that on my Spotify rap, like, that song was number one because I just had never practiced it before. It's like, you listened to this song 67 times on May 17th. It's like, ooh. <laughs> it's probably like the apples. Yeah. I'm like, are you okay? <laughs> but... That is the utility of the music. So I am very often, when it comes to music, like making my new playlists for future shows so I can really Mm -hmm. start honing in on those lip syncs. Yeah, so she's a gamer as well. What other... you reading anything? Are you a reader? Uh, I just read two plays when I was traveling last and two that I bought from Newfoundland artists. One was called Hunger by Megan Greeley thoroughly enjoyed that and the other it's right next to me that's i'm looking at it was transversing which is bring a bunch of like trans stories from newfoundland and then put into a play format yeah uh, also... so on, on that note isn't like violet in that yes violet daisy jeffries dane woodland taylor stocks aka dr Anderbox. Box. Mm-hmm. cool media consumption really Reading plays, it, um, are you a visual reader? Like, does, because there's this interesting challenge that I didn't realize was a challenge. Like, some people, when they read stuff, they don't visualize anything in their head. Are you that kind of reader? Or can you paint it? I think I, I think I am. I just read the words. Like, I don't think I get a big picture. Like, when I'm reading a book and it's like, those was like Aragon books back in the day where it's like pages and pages about a desert. I don't <laughs> picture it. So that's not that helpful for me. Like I'm just reading and seeing the words and that's about it, which like, I don't know what that says about me creatively, but yeah, like, I'm trying to remember the term for it. I'm just going to look it up for a second. Like I'm not good at bringing up an image in my mind's eye. Right. I think, okay. It's called the aphantasia and there is an aphantasia test that you can do online so for those listening literally don't close your eyes if you're engaging in any kind of like task (laughs) that requires your eyes opened but an aphantasia test you can close your eyes and either there is no image you only know that you're thinking of an apple for instance there's another one where it's dim and vague you can't really make it out but it's there and there's, I think that's me. Yeah, dim and vague. Okay. There's one that's also moderately realistic. And then there's realistic and reasonably vivid. And I think that's me. And mm. then number one is perfectly realistic as real as seeing. Like, I don't think these things in my head have color. I think it's just like black and white grayscale. 
pretty vivid, but like not entirely there. So like the Aragorn books can Aragon. I think it was Aragon. I don't know. There was a book series where I was like, oh my god, this is so much chat about the desert. Oh, it is Aragon because like it was just the D was replaced with dragon. Yeah. That. Yeah. I feel like I read the first few and then I never read the last one. But I was like a voracious reader back in high school and it stopped after university, unfortunately. Um, you can tell that you were a reader, especially using the term voracious. Voracious. <laughs> For those listening who aren't familiar with this terminology, I do believe that voracious means consuming vast quantities of things. I believe that too. A quality of consuming vast quantities of things. Voracious. Mm -hmm. Newfound Lad is a voracious person, reader, and stage eater as well. (laughs) Lad is... It has been a wonderful time getting to chat with you. It is always a pleasure catching up. This has been one of the amazing features of this podcast because rarely, very rarely nowadays do we get to sit down and just have like a full like hour long conversation without being distracted by like Mm-hmm. restaurant setting or cafe setting or like walking outdoors doing whatever activity it's a very present time so we get to sit and be with each other and hear each other's stories so that's been that's something i'm grateful for having this wonderful feature of a podcast and being able to draw up on my contacts and people being like yeah let's have a chat and today's chat proved to be just as amazing as the rest of the ones that I've been having. I'm so glad. I'm so honored to do it. <laughs> yeah. And for those who will have the great honor of catching you sometimes in your shows or online content, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at NewfoundLadPO because I lived in Toronto and I don't anymore. But why change it? <laughs> uh, I also have a website, newfoundlad.com, and I am currently restocking my merch before some of my shows in June. So if you want a Newfoundland t shirt, you let me know. Yeah. And it's also Pride Month coming up. So maybe that's a great gift to give someone in your close circle. If you're grateful mm-hmm. for family and friends, maybe you'll get them some of Newfoundland's merch because tis the season to pay the gays. <laughs> Absolutely. Please give me your money. (laughs) Yeah. And please give us a listen and a like and review if you'd like on this podcast. Since we have made it beyond three episodes, it is now high time to give your feedback on what's going on. Do you have any suggestions? And reach out to me as well if you'd like to be a future guest and what we could potentially talk about together. It has, once again, been an incredible time being with you, Newfound Lad. I am wishing you all the best. Continue spreading all that love and all of them cheeks. (laughs) I absolutely will. (laughs) Okay, bye. Bye. Toast Mistresses is written and produced by Chez Moi, hosted by Chez Moi, edited by, you guessed it, Chez Moi, and sponsored by Display Rules. 